the smarter we are, the more we know how to manipulate people, the faster we will get up the corporate ladder. People will often say it's not even how much, how much you, or it's not what you know, it's who you know. And so what we do from a very young age or from the moment that we start working is we start making these connections in our lives so that we can continue to proceed up, up the corporate ladder or two positions of leadership. For Jesus, the way to power and the way up wasn't by the way the world does things or the way we understand things. But the power that Jesus had was because he learned to serve others. How many of you have ever seen the show? I can't, I can't remember what it's called, but I've seen it several times. But it's the show, it's Undercover Boss. And it's the show where the CEO or someone very high up in the company will go and, and kind of dress up like a normal employee and just go and start doing work with all the other employees. Have any of you ever seen that? That's what Jesus did day in and day out. From the moment that Jesus was baptized in his early, or when he was 30 years old, from that moment on, Jesus entered into this part of his life, which was his ministry, which was the part that the Gospels and the Bible are written about. What we know about Jesus is basically what he did within about three and a half years of his life. And in those three and a half years, Jesus changed the world. Now, Jesus didn't say, I am the Son of God, so you must bow down to me and worship me. I am the Son of God, so you must do what I say. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus didn't go to the people in, the, in society that had positions of power and become friends with them and cozy up with them so that he would also be a person of power. But Jesus wasn't after earthly power. Jesus came to show us who God is in his character and in the depth of his being. And the picture that we have of God through the life of Jesus is that this is a God who serves everyone. This is a God who loves us and will do anything that God can for you. So here's the story I want to read to you. And it's in your red Bibles. It's not up on the screen. But if you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And so I invite you to grab one of those Bibles, share with someone. It is page 762. John 13, page 762, or 63, but you'll get there. John chapter 13, and this is what it says. This is just to give you the biblical evidence of what I've just said. It was just before the Passover feast, which the Passover feast was this huge event and feast in the life of the Jewish people in the first century and had been for thousands of years. Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. This is Bible way of saying that Jesus knew that his time was running out. Jesus knew that he would be sacrificed, that he would be betrayed, and that he would ultimately die. So this is how the writer sets up this story. This was going to be one of Jesus' last opportunities to teach his disciples what they needed to know. So, what, so this is why it's important for us today. Ha, okay, so having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So he loved them, but it wasn't just in words. He was actually going to put actions to his words. We often tell people that it's not what you say that makes us believe that you love us, but it's what you do. Actions speak louder than words. 
And so Jesus was about to show us the actions of his love, the depth of his love. This is the God of the universe. This is the Son of God. This is the man who, if anybody had the right to demand people to do things, it was this man. And so this is how Jesus shows his love for us. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who was one of the, I guess, the the best of the disciples, I guess, um, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, because that was degrading. That's what a servant would do. Not, a, not someone in a position of power, not a teacher or a rabbi. A rabbi would never wash their disciples' feet, and here Jesus functioned as the rabbi for these 12 disciples. And so Peter, who thought that he was the closest to God, Peter, who thought that he was, in a sense, the guy that Jesus was going to leave in charge of the 12 disciples, he says, you will never wash my feet. Because what he was saying is, you are not our servant. Instead, it's the other way around. And Jesus says, you don't, under okay, you don't really understand this right now, Peter. You will at some point in the future. It's going to hit you later. But trust me, I have to do this. So then Simon Peter, not really understanding in verse 9, says, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you is. And that's kind of metaphorical language for baptism and what that means. Jesus knew that in the room there were 12 disciples that he had, in a sense, communed with, lived with, ate together, taught them everything that he could teach them in three and a half years. And the Bible here tells us that in that room there was one man, his name was Judas, who, and, and we know that name. Even if you don't know the Bible, I mean, it is all around in popular culture, right? Judas was already going to betray Jesus, and Jesus already knew that. Now, if you know that someone is going to betray you, or even if you just know that someone is gossiping about you, are you going to go and, and, and embrace them and love them and tell them how great they are and open up to them and tell them all your secrets? No. If you know that someone has it out for you or someone has already betrayed you or is going to betray you, the natural human inclination that we have is to not even go near them partially because we don't want to get hurt, partially because perhaps we've already been hurt, partially because we don't want to give them any more information or ammunition, or we just flat out don't like them. So we're not going to go to them and love them and hug them and shake their hand and ask them how their week is going. We definitely aren't going to serve them. And what Jesus does here is that he is able to see beyond his own feelings he was understanding the whole of the universe and the story of salvation. And so Jesus washes the, the, the feet of 12 disciples, including Judas, the man who was going to betray him.
So when we talk about how do we interact with people that we don't like, or how do we interact with people that have hurt us, according to the picture that we have here in John 13, is that we treat them no different than the people that we love. Jesus shows us in this, this grand reversal of how things are. He doesn't ask them to wash his feet, but rather he washes their feet as a servant would wash his master's feet to show the disciples that the way up in this world isn't by power or by force, but it's rather by going down and washing someone's feet and serving them. That's, in a sense, humiliating that is humbling. And thousands of years later, in 2014, in the city of Orange, we make this opportunity available to you to wash one another's feet. Now, none of us here has a higher position than the other person, so it's a little bit different. But we believe that there is something powerful that can happen when you wash someone's feet. As we do several times a year, we have three different rooms set up. One for families, and I believe this one right here to my left is for couples and families. The patio is for men, I believe, and then there's a corner, the corner room is for, for women. And we believe this is powerful because I know that if you are married, you probably didn't have a perfect week this past week. I know that if you're here with your wife or your husband, you probably argued about something this week. And we know that when we're married and we have these fights, it's never just like, okay, well, we'll get over it. Let's move on. Sometimes those things linger. So the last thing you want to do this morning is to wash your wife or your husband's feet. But we believe that when we live into this story that Jesus teaches, see, we have the opportunity to experience what Jesus experienced. This is a time for you, husband and wife, to humble yourself. And say, I know I said this, or I know, I maybe you don't even have to mention that. Just know that in the act of getting down and washing their feet and giving them, you know, like a minute or two foot massage, whatever it is, that you are telling them in the simplest sense that you understand what you've done and you are sorry. It doesn't make anything go away. But it's a reminder that if you are married, you are here to serve one another, not to be served by the other person. Now, if you're not married and you're single, this is also an opportunity because it's weird for you to wash someone else's feet. Let's just, let's just you know, say it. It's weird to wash other people's feet that aren't your family. And this is also an opportunity, this awesome opportunity for you to be able to, to wash another person's feet and in Christian like love and fellowship and this togetherness and oneness, and oneness show them that you are my sister or you are my brother. So right now we are going to break and, and we are going to in some ways relive the very last moments before Jesus would ultimately go to his death and to be able to partake and continue this tradition, the symbolic tradition that we are here to serve, not to demand others to serve us. So we're going to pray and then we're going to break and then we're going to come back here so that we can continue our communion service. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we know that this week has been filled with all sorts of things for all of us. And so my prayer now is, is in a specific and in a special way for those who are married, Lord, who are like, I am not going to go do this foot washing. I pray that your spirit would move them in such a way that it would humble them and that they would be able to experience the joy and the fullness of your love and of their love. 
during this, this, this symbolic foot washing. I pray for the men who are here, Lord, who are saying, like, this sounds weird, and my wife's not here, or my son's not here, and I'm not going to wash anyone else's feet, Lord. I pray that you would move in them, and that your spirit would move them to ask the right person. And for the women here, Lord, who, who feel the same, may your spirit fill them, move them, and guide them. May your spirit be poured out here in a special way this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So at this point, feel free to go. And when you're done, if you want to wash your hands and then come back here as we continue our communion service.